Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's Middle Market Growth Magazine. My interview today is the first of several I recorded on the sidelines of the Association for Corporate Growth's Intergrowth Conference in Orlando. This episode features Nazar Tarhouni, Director of Research and Analysis for PitchBook, who sat down with me to talk about emerging areas for private equity investment that are getting a lot of attention, including tech and opportunity zones, which Nazar spoke about during a panel session at Intergrowth. I should say that the conference drew around 2,000 attendees this year to Orlando, and since we taped this on the main conference floor, you'll hear some of them networking in the background. With that, here's my interview with Nazar. Nazar, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you about a couple of different topics today, all related to emerging opportunities for PE firms, starting with opportunity zones. So... PitchBook's Q1 2019 private market playbook went into detail on the new Opportunity Zone program, um, which was created by the 2017 tax law. The playbook showed that some early investors have begun to develop strategies while others are still waiting for more clarification. So curious to hear your view on what private equity's involvement in Opportunity Zones has looked like to date. Yeah. So I think there's a couple different angles you can take there. I think with, it's an interesting Lots interesting legi- legislation, if you will. Um, and I think the Investing in Opportunities Act creates opportunities for capital to be deployed differently, but I actually don't think it has that big of an implication on traditional private equity as we know it. Okay. I think, you know, my stance is probably pretty strongly that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And if you look at kind of the different laws, and I'll, I'll walk through a little bit of why I kind of think that, but sure. if you think about the different laws and the different pieces of it, it does a few different things. First and foremost, a lot of private equity is built on investing in businesses, scaling, becoming more operationally efficient, but a lot of times just growing the business and a lot of time you're going to have to do that outside of a specific region. And the assets that qualify to be part of an opportunity fund need to have 50% effectively of the value of their creation in that specific zone. And they break that out with new legislation in a few different ways. And so one of the first ways they do that is they say, okay, 50% of the services that are provided in terms of the hours spent providing those need to be in that opportunity zone. Or 50% of the services that are being provided as measured by people who are paying. So the amount that's being paid for those services needs to be within that opportunity zone. So right there off the bat, you have kind of a direct contradiction of a private equity firm's ability to scale a business outside of that region. Now, there is one other stipulation where they say, okay, if you have tangible property and the management and the management of the operations or of the assets of that business in an opportunity zone need to be there in order for the business to generate 50% or more of its gross income. So that can be interpreted in a couple different ways. One could say, okay, they're basically telling me that the HQ of the business needs to be here and then I'm okay. And one could say that you have to make the case that the HQ has to be in that region, that opportunity zone, and cannot be anywhere else in order for that business to generate 50% of its gross income. So you create a lot of stipulations for private equity firms where I think that you know, if you scale a business outside, think about software, you scale a business outside of that area and all of a sudden it goes off in a different region of the country and different region of the world, you have a decision to make. Are you okay with that? One would say, probably I'll, I'll take my chances and pay whatever taxes I have to and, and run a better business that way. Or you could say you have to start limiting growth in certain areas. So I think within private equity, purely operating businesses, it's going to be really tough to operate under the current landscape, unless you're truly a local investor and are potentially a purely an impact investor looking to make it, you know, an impact in some sort of geographic region or in that region and do good over there. 
Now, real estate flips a little bit if you're real estate private equity. Because you buy a high-rise building or you buy, you know, a multifamily uh, purpose building or different types of commercial real estate, I think that's different because that building is going to be there. Your tenant income is going to be there. Recurring revenues, recurring cash flows are going to be there. And you can have some multiple expansion too on the building there. And that's okay. And that's a place where I think you have opportunities. But I actually don't think in terms of buying and operating pure private equity-backed businesses that this actually creates, you know, a big opportunity. I think it creates some loopholes and at the same time creates some headache. So I was planning to ask you whether the the recent guidance that was released by Treasury, if that was going to you know lead to more private equity activity or at least more interest for people who are maybe waiting on the sidelines. But it sounds like that might not really. I think you have to be incredibly local. I think you know even the big funds, the five billion dollar funds that have been raised so far, those are real estate focused. Uh, a lot of the five hundred, seven hundred, fifty million dollar funds in that range; those are real estate focused. I think it's going to be difficult for pure private equity to play in this space. Um, but again, I mean, you're going to have some re- regional investors. We're sitting in Florida today. You have a few firms in Florida that only invest in Florida, and maybe they can pick investments within that space that makes sense, or they can allocate smaller funds. You've seen some private equity firms pop up with a ten million dollar allocation into a fund that's only doing opportunity uh, zone investment. And so you might be able to see that, but I don't think you're going to see kind of the broad sweep influx of private equity into the space. And generally speaking, I mean, you talked about real estate, but are there other markets or verticals that you think this program is going to have a, a heavy impact on? I mean, I think it's the impact businesses, right? I think it's the businesses that are helping generate income and opportunities and job creation within a specific opportunity zone, a low income area. I mean, you look at Steve Case and Revolution Capital, I think what they're doing, things like that, if they're doing pure buyouts, I don't think they are. But if they were, I think those are the types of deals that are going to make an impact. I think you know, capital intensive landscaping, um, you know, those types of businesses that are typically regionally put in general and typically have geographies that they cling to. Those can be interesting investments. Um, but I don't think you're going to see anything really, I think within real estate, you have a lot of options. I think outside of real estate, it gets pretty slim and difficult to do. Sure. So you mentioned software earlier, and that's another topic that I want to cover with you. You know, in, in recent years, private equity firms have become a lot more interested in software deals than they were in the past, in large part because subscription models have made yeah. this, um, you know, a, a predictable cash flow industry for them. Yeah. Have you seen private equity interest grow in, in other areas of tech too? Absolutely. So I think, you know, I think software as a whole has been something, you know, I think it was three years ago, we kind of got together and we said, we think we're going to see this convergence between private equity and venture. Mm-hmm. And what was driving that was the businesses that were maybe at the series B level or the series C level and weren't growing at the same clip as the companies that were getting funded through D and E and F rounds, right? And so those became pretty interesting growth prospects for private equity, given the size of businesses, especially middle market private equity can get involved. Like you mentioned, the software as a service subscription model made sense. They could stack that against that. And you saw a lot of things, software was kind of the first, but software is also broad. So we look at software as more of a horizontal technology, if you will, which means that you're going to have software that hits healthcare, that hits financial services, that hits different consumer businesses, that hits marketplaces. Those can all be software businesses. A lot of those businesses can still come to market with subscription models. So you get a lot of the similar, you know, value ads that you would get from the first SaaS businesses that are really spread across a lot of different industries. So I look at health tech and I look at fintech as two places where you've seen a lot of private equity jump into. And to give you just a quick stat on, on the amount of companies of these types that are moving from venture to private equity, we used to see these deals happen around 8 to 9% of private equity-backed buys of venture-backed exits. So call it 8% of venture-backed exits would go to private equity, and a lot of those were technology and software. You're seeing these sit at around 20% every single year now for the last two, three years consistently. Huh. So if you look at, you know, so far this year, you've got 
it's not a different fintech deals. You look at 2018, you set a record for the amount of fintech deal value that was brought to market in terms of private equity buy-in fintech deals. You saw the same thing in healthcare, not in terms of total capital invested, but you saw a record in terms of the count of businesses within the health tech space. Now, these are things covering anything from electronic healthcare records and revenue cycle management uh, on the fintech side to payments, to B2B payments, accounts receivables management, invoice management, things that are typically done you know, a little bit more brick and mortar, if you will, still are done by check, have 15 different people within an organization touching those processes. There's a lot of things that companies have popped up to be able to streamline those operations. And they're not, you know, the sexy businesses, especially in the world we live today in, in sure. the VC land. And so, you know, I think you've seen a lot of private equity there and I think you'll see that continue to pop up. And what about blockchain? I read some pitch book commentary that companies specializing in blockchain are continuing to attract investor support. So what's the appeal to investors there? And is this still largely a venture play or is private equity coming into this space too? I think it's, it's largely a venture play still. Um, I think private equity is just by nature, it's going to be a little bit later to that game, if, if ever. Um, I think a couple things are happening there, right? You've got crypto markets that went up, but they went down. And I think nobody wants to touch that with a 10-foot pole. And it makes sense. You don't know, you know what is actually... I think we're past the stage a little bit of what are frauds and what aren't. But at the same time, you just kind of got this dilemma of, is this a currency? Is it not? Is it a stable you know, form of exchange of transactions of money and transfer between you and I? Um, you've got things like stable coins that are supposed to be tethered to the US dollar. But then you kind of lose the concept of, you know, it's hard for people to understand what value does that bring me than just using the US dollar. Um, so I think those things are going to take a lot of time and any pure currency, cryptocurrency plays are going to sit in the venture world. I think for the next call it 18 to 24 months, everything within blockchain at the enterprise level and blockchain infrastructure will probably still be venture. But I think you'll get some scalable businesses that'll hit a certain point that can move to private equity hands or even potentially public markets. So you look at Coinbase, for example, it's an exchange. If you want to buy and sell different cryptocurrencies or contracts within that, it doesn't matter whether the price of those cryptos go up or down. People are trying to transact. And so if you are the middleman or the middlewoman between that and you are taking a cut on any buy or sell of those exchanges, that's a good business. And if you can provide written research on top of that, it almost becomes like the old exchanges from you know the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ before a specific currency. So again, if you think about that, you're looking at you know the picks, the axes and the shovels rather than actually investing in the gold, if you use the gold rush as your example. I think the other infrastructure you see is, is back-end, back-office. Again, anything that's effectively non-sexy, if you will. So if you look at trade settlement for the banks, if you look at... Um, even invoice and order management and tracking data sets that kind of keep track of those types of items. Those are typically pretty human intensive. There's typically old form technology and ledgers and databases being used for that. That's a place where blockchain technology can manage effectively. If you look at supply chain and trying to track different items going from place to place and exchange of money transferred before goods are sent to different places, that's a perfect spot for blockchain to pop up. And so I think you'll see more of that. And those are the types of businesses that I think can have private equity investment down the line, but I think they're still sitting in the VC world. Are there any other emerging areas for private equity investors that you're keeping your eye on right now? I mean, I think technology is probably the biggest one that you're seeing. I think that's been a multi-year wave, and I think it's a wave that isn't going to stop. And I think that there's so much more technology that you don't see at the multi-billion dollar market cap level of the different ride-sharing companies that have multi-billion dollar you know, market caps like Lyft and Uber. There's so much under the hood that you don't see. You know, If you look at any investment bank's track record within the payment space, for example... You know, they've got hundreds of deals that each bank has been a part of. 
and a lot of those banks are middle market banks as well. And all of those typically have had some sort of private equity on the back end or they're being sold through strategics. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think fintech is a space that won't die. I think that mobility is interesting. Um, you've got the shared mobility plays that are typically scaling at a massive clip. And then you know, you've got Uber and, and, um, and Lyft and other companies as well. But within mobility, you've got you know a lot of different freight brokering, freight brokerage, freight different technology that are helping the trucking industry. Um, you've got supply chain and logistics technology, it's a relatively old legacy industry, but that could leverage from technology to streamline efficiencies and streamline operations. Um, so I think those are spaces that we take a look at from you know emerging tech play. Nazar, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Of course, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple, SoundCloud, or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, visit our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, to read the latest issue of our magazine and web-exclusive content highlighting middle market companies and M&A. 